is uh, a reading from Paul's letters to the first Corinthians. Um, I'm sorry, that's chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. You can follow along in the Bibles that we provided in the seat back pockets in front, or they're up here, I'll do the airline thing, up here at the end of the aisles. If you need a Bible, hail one, they'll pass one on down. So we'll begin on page 18, chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Well, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Well, let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Well, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers... In whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This is God's word. You're here this morning for for part two of a two-part sermon series called, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Uh, Many of us, often desiring God's guidance, throw up our arms eventually, saying, man, oh well, right? God's mysterious. I can't know what he wants. It's unknowable, so I might as well just go with my gut and make a decision, having assumed that the Bible, this Word of God that you hopefully hold in your lap, doesn't have anything to say about issues of, God, where do you want me? What should I do with my life? And with whom should I do it? As we see this morning, as Joe read, in fact, that he does have something to say about it. So last week, we concluded that the main tenor of this passage is that when in doubt, stay. Stay, remain, love Jesus where you are, doing what you do, and with the people you're already with. And this week, we're going to consider the question, when should I go? When should I seek change in what I do and where I do it and with whom I do it? And sometimes God makes this decision very clear. He guides us very strongly. A work permit runs out, right? A job opportunity opens up in our actual field of work or we have experience in education, or maybe a loved one gets ill and your assistance to them is required elsewhere, or maybe a pregnancy pops up in your life and that kind of makes a decision for you and God uses that, he uses circumstances often. But sometimes we face decisions that are far more wide open. And when it is wide open, we often seek guidance, I think, in the form of a, of a magic bullet. That one sort of deciding intervention that will give us the divine guidance we need. That one bullet of, boom, we got it now. We know what we're supposed to do. We seek it either in the form of a miraculous sign, a dream, a prophecy, something that clearly cannot be explained any other way. And God can do that. Or we seek someone we trust to help us make the decision. Kind of make the decision for us. Make it so clear for us, which is one of the reasons I've been a little leery this morning. A number of you very encouragingly said how much you were, after last week, looking forward to this week's message. 
And, and I got to tell you, that's kind of heavy. Like, am I going to be able to deliver up to you God's will? I don't think so. However, however, we can always trust the word of God. We always trust the word of God for us to, for, as a guide for us to grapple with, should I go? So having looked last week at what the whole passage had to say with regard to staying, this week we'll hone in on the, on the very first line of Paul's thought in this passage. And considering that question, when is it time to go? Just one line. And by the way, the answer is simple. When should I go? It's surprisingly simple. And this is the message in a nutshell. Go when you are ready. Go when you are ready. Now, how will I know that I'm ready? That's a fair question. When you become the kind of person who can make this kind of decision, becoming this kind of person, a wise person, requires a walk. If we look again at verse 17, look there with me if you would, it literally translates only walk out, walk out, or walk the life assigned by the Lord to which God has called him. Walk that kind of life. The word translated here is lead is really a word peripateo. You're going to hear that word a lot from me this morning, peripateo. It's a Greek word meaning to walk. And Paul highlights it here as the governing verb, not only the sentence, but this whole passage, to walk. He has said and he continues to say God's primary call in a person's life is into relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. That's God's primary call on your life and on mine. Only whatever you do vocationally, whatever, whomever you relate to relationally, and wherever you go locationally, walk, peripateo, Walk that life that God has assigned to you. This, this motif of walking governs not only this passage, but it's going to govern this message this morning. A walk is intentional. A walk is gradual. And you've got to walk before you swim. I'll explain what that means. We'll get to it. But with God's word as our guide, we'll trust him to address this question the way that he deems fit, not necessarily the way we would want. So first, a walk is intentional. And right, every walk is. Still in places like, whether it's Cayman or Africa, people still walk to work. They walk to see friends. They walk to go to church. They walk to get food. Maybe you saw some people walking this morning to a worship service. People still walk with an intention. Even leisurely walks are intentional, right? We walk to be with the one we love. Or we walk to get some fresh air. We walk to shed the pounds of Christmas, right, from our mince pies or malva pudding, right? Too much of that, go for a walk. In other words, every walk has some intentionality to it. The verb walk here in verse 17 is, the, is in the imperative tense. That's like, all that means is it's like someone shouting, go, stop, run, or in this case, Walk. It's of paramount importance to Paul here. He's saying you must walk. It's a command. Be immediately intentional to peripateo, to walk the life that God has assigned to you. Now, how many of us here are uh, dog people? You're a dog person. All right, how many of you are cat persons? How many of you only want to see animals when you go outside? All right, (laughs) that's a pretty good balance there. Fair enough. Near Christmas time, a few years back, when we used to live still in, in South Sound in the neighborhood there, uh, I observed a young girl with a cat in her front yard. 
and she was feeding the cats treats to try to try to bribe it towards something, and it quickly became apparent what she wanted to bribe it towards, because in the other hand, she had a leash. And from afar, I watched her attempt to saddle this cat with a leash, which typically unsuccessful, as you so, but I, I just stood there, and Katie later, rightly criticized me later for standing there and gawking, but um, her mother came out to occasionally reason with her and then sort of gave up, and she finally got the leash on and tried to walk this cat by a leash, and after a few minutes, she finally got it on, and then five minutes, and like five feet later, <laughs> she'd given up, took off the leash, and the cat jumped over someone else's fence, right? That was the end of that. Cats. Maybe many good things, all right? Now, I don't want to diss you cat people here. Love cats. But they are far too temperamental and independent to be trained or led. Dogs can be trained. And I'm not saying I'm a... I'm, I'm like usually the latter category. I like to go outside to see iguanas. Cool. Dogs, though. Dogs can be trained to sniff for bombs and drugs. Right? They can be trained to lead blind people through life. They'd be trained to, to run in concentric circles at beauty pageants, all for dogs. Dogs can do this. So I pose the question to you, what kind of life are you leading at the other end of your leash? What kind of life are you leading at the other end of your leash? Right? Now, some call that kind of life, that always spontaneous life, they call it spontaneous, go with the flow, living in the now. But there's a reason why you never call back that first date who says during the date, you know, I actually meant my whole thing. It's just, I live in the now. I go with the flow. Typically, you're not calling that person back. You're like, probably not a long-term prospect. They're trying to walk a cat with their lives, constantly reacting to circumstances, barely getting to pay their light bill on time, They have friends who try not to chuckle when they mention New Year's resolutions because they're like, yeah, okay. Dogs, on the other hand, they don't mind receiving direction, getting discipline. And so dogs lead more intentional lives, right? They they run and they lead Iditarod races. They learn to help people through physical therapy. They save Timmies from old wells. (laughs) That's what dogs do. The book of Proverbs describes two types of persons when it comes to decision-making, the scoffer and the wise person. Scoffer on the one hand, the wise person on the other. Proverbs 21, 24 says, The scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with pride. It's the cat. (laughs) The wise. It's a person who is humble enough to admit they need guidance and seek after it diligently. Humble enough to say, I need help. And they go to people. And they go to God over and over and diligently to seek that help. It's the cat and the dog. The Bible says, however, that none of us can lead and walk out that intentional life we want to so badly because all of us have divided hearts. All of us have divided hearts. The same writer of our passage this morning, Paul Elsewhere, says of not only himself, but really of humanity in general, I know that the good I want to do is there. I know the good I want to do. And yet, I keep on doing the evil I don't want to do. Why is that? I have a good plan, I have good intentions, and I walk out this life, and yet evil stays right where with me to, to get me off the path, to go astray from where I want to go. There's this war, he says, that's waging in all of our hearts. It's the cat and the dog. 
We want to get guidance and live wisely, but I keep going back to independence and, and just my own way of living. And I can relate to that. We need someone who can lead and shepherd our hearts to bring peace to the war in there. And so enable us to, to walk out lives of intentionality and purpose, the lives we all want to lead. That someone is Jesus Christ. God became flesh to understand the chaos of men's divided hearts. And then on the cross endured all the consequences of men's divided hearts. All the consequences for rebelling against God and going our own way, Jesus endured on the cross. So he ministered to divided hearts during his life and then became the ministry for divided hearts through his death. A ministry that goes on forever and available for you today. If you want to walk intentionally, you need to submit to a guide who can lead and train your divided heart that's prone to wander every which way. So if you want to be intentional, first you've got to learn how to submit. Secondly, though, a walk is gradual. You need to walk is gradual. What matters when you walk, when you're walking especially to a destination, isn't necessarily how fast you walk, but that you, that you keep walking, that you keep going. And what counts, according to Paul, isn't where you live, what you do, with whom you do it, but you respond to faith in Jesus by, it says in verse 19, keeping the commandments of God. That's the response of someone who is trusted and submitted to Jesus. We think that what counts is, is doing something you've always wanted to do, living somewhere where you just absolutely adore living, being with the people that you prefer being around. That's what's ultimately going to count in life. We even see greeting cards with that kind of axiom in it, right? Paul says that what counts are those gradual, small steps of obedience to Jesus, those gradual, small steps of obedience to Jesus that add up and really count. It's interesting because many of us ask, you know, what is God's will for my life? At some point, we've all asked this question, thinking, hoping. When I get asked this, I often encourage people to, to crack open their Bibles Let's, let's look at Let's look what the Bible says about that. One very prominent place to me is, is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, where Paul says this, and it's up here on the screen. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For, notice, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's will for your life? Be joyful always in response to what Jesus has done for you. Pray continuously to the God who has opened up a relationship with you through Christ. Give thanks in all circumstances in response to the sacrifice he's made on your behalf so you can know him forever. That's daily stuff, right? So I, I don't want to get in necessarily to expositing each of this point, these points, but I want to just highlight that it's normal kind of stuff. It's daily, everyday kind of stuff. That is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Daily steps of obedience add up And what they do is they make a difference to shaping the kind of person you become and ultimately what you step into in life. A long time ago, I heard about this man interviewed in jail. And he was reflecting back on his childhood. And he was, when he was young, he was fascinated by his dad's gold watch. And he took it out of this drawer and he began looking at it, kind of playing with it a little bit. And he dropped the watch and it broke. He picked it up, put it back in the drawer and never said anything about it. The dad gets the whole family together eventually, and he asks the question, what, you know, what, what happened to my watch? Does anyone know what happened? Anyone see it or do anything with it? And in that moment, he decided, I'm just not going to say anything. He was fearful. Now, years later, 
One night he was driving a car on a poorly lit road, and he actually uh, he hit a little kid. And just like that, he fled the, sl- fled the scene. And when he got home, he felt incredibly guilty about it, uh, but he was too afraid to turn himself in. He, he, of course, was eventually found and spent the re- most of the rest of his life in jail. He said in the interviews in that what fixed his destiny wasn't what he decided that night on the road, but all those daily gradual decisions that he'd been making for years leading up to it. The decision that fixed his destiny wasn't, you know, should I flee the scene or not? He said, the decision was fixed well before that with all those little decisions I made leading up to that night. He finally gained wisdom in his life, though tragically. You see the point, right? First, humbly submit to a guide who can lead and train a divided heart, but also these gradual steps of obedience to that guide of our life is what really shapes you and ultimately your future. Which leads to my final point this morning, which is you got to walk before you swim. Some of you guys may be familiar with this proverb. You can tell by the way I'm getting into a series on Proverbs, right? There's been a few of these. There's still one here to come. Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. I remember someone when I was about 17 or 18 years old encouraged me to memorize this proverb. And I did, and I, I felt like I understood it. Commit to the Lord, whatever you do, your plans will succeed. Only in the last few years I figured out why I couldn't ever really apply it to life. Because I didn't really get it. Another pastor once pointed out that we typically read this proverb like this. Commit to the Lord your plans, and your deeds will succeed. Isn't that how we really read it? Commit to the Lord your plans, your deeds will succeed. God, if you tell me to go somewhere and do something, my, that exact blueprint, snowflake, unique will for my life, everything else I do will fall into place. That's how we read it. But it's not saying that. It's actually the opposite. It's intentionally walk out God's gradual will. Commit to the Lord everything you do. In every decision you make, every daily decision, then you'll find yourself planning in according to his big picture will. You'll make wise plans. You'll make plans that succeed. Does that make sense? We think just, man, if we could just get to that big will for my life, everything else, every piece of the puzzle will fall into place. But actually what God is saying is no. You have to start by committing to the Lord every action of your day and the little steps of your day. And then you'll be a person who makes wise plans. You'll walk in to God's big picture will of your life. God's everyday will, I like to think of it like this. God's everyday will is like the stream. It's like walking the stream. And his larger will for your life is like the river that stream leads into. You start in the stream, and it leads into the river. When I was younger, I spent a couple years as a Boy Scout, which is a way in the United States to basically become more disciplined, earn badges, and ultimately be able to use a knife regularly. (laughs) That's what all young boys want. And one of those um, badges you can, you, can, you can earn was going for a night camping. And then the next day in the wilderness, go for a 20-mile hike. And during that hike with a, a scoutmaster and a number of my fellow Boy Scouts, that scoutmaster was also my dentist, Dr. Samuel, uh, he, he pointed to a stream next to which we were marching. And he didn't talk much, but he said, boys, that is nature's map. And what he meant by that was that if you followed that stream, it would eventually get us back to the river, which would get us back to where we were ultimately going, back to sort of our base camp. Fast forward to this past summer, 
I'm taking Mason, our oldest son, for a fly fishing lesson for his 11th birthday. And I bring up Dr. Samuel's advice because we, we got to the river way too early. So we go off on a little hike ourselves. And I don't want to over-exaggerate and say we were way lost or anything. But I saw a stream. And so Dr. Samuel's advice came to mind. decided to share with Mason. I said, hey, son, this is nature's map. And he didn't know what I meant. He's like, what? What are you thinking about, Dad? But I showed him, right? We started to walk along that stream. And we're walking and we're walking and we're walking. So the next thing you know, we're wading in the river where we see our fly fishing guide. We're swimming in that river where our fly fishing guide is. You see the point, right? You've you got to walk that little stream before you get to swim in the big river. Don't seek just to get to the big river. The way to get into God's, that perfect one in your life, to, to know where he's leading, is walking daily in that stream, doing all those little things. Verse 17, only walk out, walk the life assigned by the Lord. I want to encourage you to intentionally integrate daily obedience with the life he's assigned you. So if God has assigned you to a commute every day as part of your daily life, put some scripture memory on your dashboard for your time in the car to get God's word hidden in your heart that you might not sin against him. If God, God has assigned you to take care of your body, so listen to sermons or to worship music while you do that, while you work out, or find a partner to work out with who will also pray for you and encourage you in your life. If God has assigned you a job with coworkers, attentively look for opportunities to apply what you learn in your quiet time with him that morning in your workplace or directly to a coworker. God has assigned you a baby. Changing his or her diaper becomes an opportunity to continue to pray without ceasing, right? To pray over your child. If God has assigned you a spouse, marital, marital conflict becomes not simply a way for you to persuade your spouse to your side, <laughs> but a way to become closer as you seek God's will together and you seek enjoying each other more and you become closer through the conflict. God has assigned you trips to the grocery store. Each trip can be an opportunity to be generous towards someone you love or to someone in need, you see. So, so find ways to integrate daily obedience with the life he's already assigned you. That's the kind of daily stuff the Bible calls us to live out. Let me close with two examples, one corporate and one individual, of how such intentional gradual obedience leads to finding yourself ready to make decisions in concert with God's larger will for your life. First one is uh, four years ago, 2012, we began to outgrow this facility here in terms of ministering the gospel on Sunday mornings to children, to our young people. And so the elders started to look around for options, but we wisely abandoned that project. See, we, we needed to grow. We needed to get in more intentional, especially how we presented Jesus to children, how we were equipping parents to become the primary disciple makers of their children. We needed to get better about making disciples, fulfilling the Great Commission. Katie and I have tried to live this out personally, show others along the way. We've tried to get the right volunteer leaders and ministry teams, put people in the right places. We had Susan, who was a wonderful leader of our uh, kids' ministry, kids' church. Remember um, Meredith? And then Katie Krutoff, who helped out our nursery so diligently. And finally, every nook and cranny started to get full. And we knew we needed someone full-time to help with this. So we continued to grow. We got Richard Bolbring. After Richard left, um, Brett came along. I'm very grateful. We continued to grow using this gospel project curriculum. Those of you who are in kids' ministry or help volunteer know what I'm talking about. 
so relevant, so engaging. We've gotten more consistent about equipping volunteers. We've expanded our investment in parents to encourage them to be able to lead family worship together and be nurturers of their kids' faith. And we're ready. We've gradually progressed doing the Great Commission, making disciples. We've walked that stream every Sunday, every week, during the week. And now we've stepped into God's larger will, it seems. We're ready to save for another facility. Now, how we jumped into that in 2012 would have been a big mistake, I think. We weren't ready. I know I wasn't. I still had that lingering lie that went through my, my heart and my mind that only if we got a new facility, everything will be okay. The church will grow and people will be happy and we'll get complaints and that sort of thing, right? Wouldn't have been good. And maybe, just maybe, God hasn't still given us that facility because he wants us to grow step by step and steady generosity towards him and towards his purposes. To continue as a people, putting a little bit aside every month to grow into what seems to be we've walked into. We've walked the stream. We've been obedient to the Great Commission, and now we don't have any more room for our kids. So shouldn't we respond by being part of what God is doing in his larger will? So the elders have encouraged me to, again, lay this before us, this opportunity to gradually obey God and putting a little aside each month. And I pray God puts that on your hearts, and that every end of every month we get ready again to have a celebration of what God has done, and we work our way towards what he's doing and what we need. But I want you to see there how just walking that gradual every day, every week will led into his larger will. I'm so glad our friend Andy shared his testimony earlier about the impact of community in his life. Now, Andy and I are in the midst of a uh, five-set tennis match. And he knows what I'm talking about. Sure, it's lasted two and a half years, basically. <laughs> and basically, he's up in the third set, but we're tied with sets. So let's call it a draw. Now, that's in large part we're in this large tennis match because about every 45 minutes in, we're pretty gassed, mostly me because I'm out of shape. And we just stop, get some water, and we talk about life, the life that God has assigned to each of us. One such time was two-plus years ago, Andy had come back fired up from our first-ever missions trip to Honduras to Tree of Life Ministries. He'd even returned again for a long weekend after his initial visit to Honduras. He went back, and the opportunity was before him to quit his job and spend six months to a year at Tree of Life, just serving there. And in many ways, it made sense. Andy had a, had a passion for it and a heart to reach the lost. He had a, he has a sister and a brother-in-law involved in missions full-time. And just this last week, I asked Andy how he thinks back on that decision, because obviously he didn't go. And he says, it would have been a mistake. It would have been a mistake. And he was looking for God's big where, what, with whom, tailor-made for him, thinking, you know, if I just find that, everything else will fall into place. But as he candidly admitted to me, and he's allowing me to share with you this morning, he said, you know, I was filled with so much passion, but I still needed so much more maturity in my life. How wise is that for him to say that? How humble is that to say that? And since then, I, I watched Andy grow into making conscious decisions to walk with further integrity at work, praying for his coworkers, wanting to share the gospel with them. He's kept that meeting with a smaller group of Christians to work together and applying God's word. He's gotten more regular about Bible study and prayer. He's gathered around him brothers who will help support him in prayer and uphold him when he's tempted in life. He's regularly sought wisdom of a community group leader and pastor. And he's by no means, you know, I love him. He's by no means perfect, neither am I. 
but he's someone who has learned to walk in God's daily will and has become the kind of person who is ready to go, who is ready to say yes to going, which he's doing after, what, six years, all right, in Cayman? He's moving to New York City to take a consultancy job there with a fellow Scotsman who will be a great business mentor for him. And here's the thing, guys. We all know that it's right. It's right. And we all know it's right. And his community group, his community group leader, his pastors, and most importantly himself, he knows. And that's the message in a nutshell. Go when you are ready. How will you know when you're ready? When you become the kind of person who can make that decision. Humbly submit your life to the shepherd who can train and lead divided hearts. Gradually obey in the life he has now assigned you and trust that he'll make you into the kind of person who's ready to make that plunge when God leads you into it. Let's pray.